This program is brought to you by the partners of A Root Awakening International. Help others find truth. Support A Root Awakening International today. Maybe you know one story in the Bible about a woman named Tamar. Maybe you know two stories, but three? What is Jehovah trying to tell us within the stories of these three different women with the same name? Jake Hilton shares some insight you've likely never heard before because it's the end of the sixth day. The sun is set and this is Shabbat Night Live. Shabbat Shalom Torah fans. Welcome to Shabbat Night Live with Michael Rood. What do you know about Tamar? Well, not that Tamar, you know, the other Tamar. There's more than one? Yeah. <laughs> in fact, there are three Tamars with completely different stories in the Bible. However, they are all, all linked by some very interesting facts that I'll bet you've never heard before, and I hadn't heard them either. Uh, and they all point to one very important thing, and only Jake Hilton could bring us a deep dive like this one. It's episode four of The Golden Honey of the Torah, The Three Tamars Prophecy is what he calls it. And there may be three Tamars, but there's only one. Astronomically and agriculturally corrected biblical Hebrew calendar. There you see it on the screen now. We are into the 11th month, known in Babylonian times as Shabbat. Now, say hello to my co-host, Tiffany Panaccio. Shabbat shalom, Scott. Shabbat shalom. I only know, I've joked about this before, I only know one Tiffany Panaccio. Yeah. <laughs> That's However, a pretty unique name, yeah. It is unique. And, and if you go on, online, there's like a million Scott Lairds. I think there's like a, uh, there's a, there's a soccer player named Scott Laird out in oh, that's great. England somewhere or something, <laughs> yeah. And we were talking about this, like, how, so three Tamars. First of all, I had never heard that there were three Tamars. I, this is news to me. Yeah. I'll be honest. Like, I knew the one, like, Tamar and, and like... Judah and, yeah, yeah you know, yeah, the Judah, things. You heard about mm -hmm. that, you know, when my, Jake was up here explaining it. I was like, okay, I know that one. Yeah. And you'd mentioned that you have a friend, Tamar. Yes, I do have a wonderful friend named Tamar. She had, she doesn't have the same occupation no. as Tamar in the Bible. Mm -mm. She's <laughs> a delight. No. Yeah, different one. Yeah, no. <laughs> but, they, but, yeah, what Jake brings out here is really interesting. And it, it's, it just goes to show, again, how... You know, Yehovah uses patterns in the Bible. We talked a little bit about that last week with the whole Hebrew thing and, mm -hmm. you know, different letters and numbers if you line them up. And it's it's no joke. I mean, you, you do it and there's like, there's no denying it. And there's no way that people could have manipulated that. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and again, here's another one of the, these three Tamars. I can't and, hear it. Uh, so it being only one Tiffany Panaccio, and <laughs> there's a million Scott Lairds out there. But um, I don't know, when I worked at McDonald's as a kid, we had... Sometimes it was a nightmare because you'd have this one shift where there were four Scots and we had to make nicknames oh, for everybody. Yeah. Because it was like this Scott, second Scott, third Scott, and mine became Grover for some reason. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where that came from. That's anyway, great. Well, yeah, what were you going to say? I was going to say, I mean, nicknames are a thing in my family and I think I know why after you okay. said that. So on uh, my dad had a baseball team and all of my cousins and everything play. They were... I have three Davids. There were three David Rodriguez's, right? I'll just say in one. one family. Yeah. Oh no, there's more than that. I'm sure we have too many people in our family. <laughs> and then my grandmother and all her sisters are named Maria. Just all of them are named Maria. They all have different middle names. But uh, okay. Well, wait. Okay. So forgive me. So, <laughs> so is is that a uh, is that like a Costa Rican uh, culture? Oh, no, you're not. From, you're from Dominican Republic. Dominican. Yeah. Sorry, you're from the Dominican. Is that a Dominican thing? Is that like a <sighs> I think thing? with certain families, they like for there to be a family name that they pass okay. down, um, usually a matriarch or a patriarch from the Bible, uh, hence Maria. As the first name? Yeah, as the oh, first okay. name, and okay. then um, they'll give them a middle name to distinguish them amongst their siblings. Okay. So it is a thing for my family. See, least. and that's a, you see, that's a funny thing. People think, well, why would you ask that? Well, actually, that does intrigue me because when we came down here from uh, Canada, you know, I was born mm -hmm. in Canada, and so was all, all, our whole family. It's not uncommon for Canadians to have two middle names. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and so you, and people come, you come down here, and people think that's really weird. But it's just like, well, what? I mean, there was just a, there was a common thing up there. But yeah. usually, you know, if you take on a father's name or something, it's the like my dad's middle name or his first name is my middle name. Oh yeah, you know, not mm -hmm. the first name. So I find that intriguing. That it's the yeah, first name. Yeah, it's a similarity right there. Yeah, interesting. Wow. <laughs> we have long names. <laughs> yes. Okay. Now uh, it's the. 
12th, 26th, 27th of, of the month. And so that means we only have a few days left of our love gift. Yep. So if you have heard about this love gift, uh, it's the truth that's hard to hear with Jeff, Jeffrey Prather. If you've heard of Jeffrey Prather, it's probably because you are online looking at some things like, hmm, what's really going on in the world? Uh, he is XDIA, so that is Intelligence for the Pentagon. Wow. He's XDEA, uh, which is uh, Border Patrol, obviously. And he's he spent like 10 years doing that. So he knows what's going on in the border. Good resource. And, yeah, exactly. And he was a special uh, retired special oper- operations uh, soldier. So he knows a lot of stuff. And he knows what happened in Israel on October 7th. And it may not be what you think it is. And it's probably something you don't want to think about. Uh, so... Again, he, we ask the question in this teaching, why? What's going on here? And he relates this to all kinds of other things going on in the world that all seem to have the same nefarious roots. And guess what? They do. And he's about to expose it all in the truth that's hard to hear. This is a teaching you will not get online. It's not going to be on Shabbat Night Live. It's not going to be anywhere. It's only on DVD or Blu-ray where you can put this in your house and no one can take it away from you. Because if they put this online, it's going to get taken away from you. It's one of those things that people do not want to hear and those who know the truth are trying to take it down. So make sure you get this because it's going to explain a whole lot about what's going on and how it relates to the Bible too. So uh, now that's for a gift of $50 or more and for a gift of $300 or more, you'll get uh, this beautiful blanket here, which is Psalm, uh, what is it, 119.76. Let your steadfast love comfort me. Uh, And also this beautiful thing here. So this is a a map of Israel, right? Yes. And it comes in two pieces. Yes, uh, for shipping purposes, because it is long. Yes, 19 (laughs) inches tall, this Yes. And so it it comes with instructions on how to put it together and all that. And it even has a handy little piece of cardboard to help you level it properly. Okay, there you go, perfect. (laughs) And again, only a few days left to get that. It ends uh, January 31st, and once they're gone, they're gone. And and we had a hard enough time getting them here in the first place. Exactly. So we will not be ordering any extras. That is gonna be it. So uh, that ends uh, this Wednesday. All right, so uh, we have a little bit of a clip tonight to show folks awesome. uh, what they're going to see with uh, with Jake Hilton uh, about the three tomorrows. So take a look at this. Why? Well, we have to ask that question. Why? We're going with the narrative of jo- of Joseph. He sold to Potiphar, and then all of a sudden, what is going on for a whole chapter? And then we pick up with the narrative of Joseph in Genesis 39. It's like a 39. vignette in a show. Meanwhile, back at the farm. Right. I mean, it's it's the strangest thing. All right. So there you have it. The three Tamars and the three, uh, the, the four Scots and the three Rodriguez. The three Marias. Three Marias. <laughs> yeah. uh, three Davids in yeah, your family. Yeah, a whole okay. bunch. Yeah. <laughs> so, but we're going to talk about the three Tamars tonight with Jake Hilton. So what is Yehovah trying to tell us within these stories of these three different women with the same name, Tamar? Well, Jake Hilton shares some insight you've likely never heard before. I know I hadn't until he revealed it. It was amazing. It's the fourth of six episodes in our series, The Gold and Honey of the Torah. Now, stay tuned for The Kiddush with Michael. What really happened in Israel on October 7th last year? How could Israel's world-leading intelligence agencies miss such an elaborate plan? Retired Special Operations Soldier, former DIA intelligence collector, and ex-DEA Special Agent Jeffrey Prather has an unsettling answer. Any intelligence professional that says that Israel was surprised is a liar or a fool. From 9-11 to the War on Terror, mRNA vaccines, open borders, the alternative lifestyle agenda, and the mark of the beast. The truth that's hard to hear with Jeffrey Prather exposes the satanic agenda behind it all. This teaching is not available anywhere online, but we'll give it to you as our thanks for supporting A Rude Awakening International. When you donate $50 as a love gift to this ministry in January, we'll send you The Truth That's Hard to Hear with Jeffrey Prather on DVD or Blu-ray. Donate $100 and we'll send you The Truth That's Hard to Hear, plus a 48 by 52 inch roll-up fleece blanket featuring Psalm 119.76. Donate $300 and we'll send you The Truth That's Hard to Hear, the roll-up fleece blanket, and a handmade 3D wooden map of Israel measuring more than 19 inches tall. These gifts are a limited time offer from Michael Root to thank you for your support. Make your donation today and receive the $50 gift, 
the $100 gift or the $300 gift. Thank you. Your donations ensure that important teachings like the truth that's hard to hear keep coming from A Rude Awakening International. Use your smartphone to scan the QR code on your screen to donate now and receive these limited-time gifts. Or call 888-766-3610 or get your gifts online with a donation at monthlylovegift.com. If you like what you see on Shabbat Night Live, you'll love the bonus episodes. Now available only on the MichaelRood.tv app. These bonus episodes dive deep to give you more serious study, cutting-edge content, and righteous raves you won't find anywhere else. It's Michael Rood Uncut. Sign up now to get the MichaelRood.tv app free for 14 days. It's everything Michael Rood plus all new bonus episodes you won't find anywhere else. Sign up to watch now at MichaelRood.tv. The night of the Last Supper, Yeshua took our tone, our tone, leavened bread, and he blessed the Most High, and he broke the bread and said, this represents my body, which will be broken for you. He took the cup, and he blessed the Most High and said, this represents the renewed covenant in my blood. The following day, the following day, on the 14th of the month of the Aviv, there were two large loaves on the wall of the temple. And when they took the first loaf down, after that, no more bread, no more leavened bread was eaten. Then when they took the second loaf down, that's when all of the leavened bread in the city of Jerusalem and everywhere else was completely expunged. It was burnt in the fire. That was the rehearsal that was done the following day, just before the Passover lambs were sacrificed in preparation for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But Yeshua represents in this very thing, in the breaking of the bread that we do, in the Kiddush, in the sanctification, every Shabbat, we remember that his body was broken for us. By his stripes, we were healed. And in the taking of this cup, as we say this prayer in thanksgiving to Almighty God, Baruchatah Yehovah Eloheinu Melech HaLam, Borei Pri Hagafen. Yeshua said this, is the renewed covenant in my blood. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Every meal, any time, any Sabbath, any feast, any time that you need to remember his broken body and shed blood, we do this in remembrance of him. There are some curious names in the Bible that we don't necessarily use today. Methuselah was one of them. There's another one I can think of named Tamar. There's more than one Tamar in the Bible. Maybe you can name two. Are there more? Why is Tamar so mysterious? What is it about Tamar that is so intriguing? Well, Jake Hilton, welcome back to Shabbat Night Live. Thank you once again, Scott, for having me. You have a presentation. We teased it last week. Uh, so you are giving us, uh, now I called it something wrong. I said the three Tamar prophecies, but it's really right. the three Tamars prophecy. Yes. What is As this? As in, we have three Tamars, and we're looking at this grand overall prophecy of three Tamars. So there's three Tamars there in the Bible. There are three Tamars in the Bible. I, yeah. And most, I would say most Christians who are familiar with the Bible, they can name one or they can... That was me. I could only think of they one. They can think of one. Yeah. You got some that could probably look at two, but I think very few recognize that there are three Tamars that are mentioned in the Bible, two of which we got a story related yeah. to them and then one that we have very little information about. So is there... And they're, they're obviously with this title here, they're linked somehow. Oh yeah, okay. there's, I do believe when we're looking at the golden honey of the Torah, of the word of God, the spirit and truth of it, I believe that there's an incredible prophecy from the Almighty linking these three Tamars and a spiritual image for the house of Israel that God wants us to see, hmm. so. Okay. <laughs> you ready for this one? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm curious now, yes. <laughs> Let's get into it. So the gold and honey, or the spirit and truth of the Torah. When we look at Tamar, 
and this three to Mars prophecy, we have to begin in Bereshit, the book of Genesis, where we have, uh, we have Israel, Father Jacob, and his beloved son, Joseph. And this, this robe, this robe of many colors that he gives to his son. This is, I believe, the, the, the linking key, not just the names, because you, know, you could look at the three names, you know, Tamar, 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 as most certainly a link, but the, the robe uh, given to Joseph is another one of these links that we're gonna mm. have to focus on and look at. So it says in Genesis 37 that Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. And this is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the brothers, uh, excuse me, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilphah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So this is that linking key that we need to focus on, this ornate robe. What is it in the Hebrew? It's Strong's Hebrew Concordance 6446. It's the Hebrew pas or pasim or hot pasim. And what it means is the flat, as in the flat of the hand or the foot. And it represents this, this tunic that's reaching all the way down to the palms or the soles of the feet. So that, that's the general image of what this ornate robe, this pas or uh, pasim is. Uh, uh, like a royal robe, this really beautiful robe that goes all the way down to your wrists, to the, the flat of your hand, and then all the way down to your ankles, you know, towards the flat of your foot. Right, because the, the workers of the day, of your, you know, you're going to be wearing short stuff so you can be working around. So this is right. and this, this, royalty. This is, Someone's ro- not going to yeah, be working. This is an this. image of royalty, most yeah. certainly. This is a nice thing. And once again, translating the English, pasim, it's ornate robe. Now, we know the story. God gives Joseph these dreams, these visions of future events using this uh, prophetic imagery. We have the sheaves that are bowing down before Joseph's sheaf. We have Joseph with this second dream about the, the sun, the moon, and the stars were bowing you know, towards me. What is this all about? Well, the envy, the jealousy of the brothers and their hatred towards their younger brother Joseph just grows and grows and grows until we know exactly what happens. They attack him and they throw him down into this pit. Not all of the brothers, because we know Benjamin wasn't there, but we got 10 of these brothers. 10 of the brothers, they do this, they throw him down into the pit and then they take that ornate robe from him. So it reads in Genesis 37, verse 23, starting there. When Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah, it's Judah who has this idea here, Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So this is what the brothers do. They sell their younger son, or excuse me, their younger brother. (laughs) They sell their father's younger son to these Ishmaelites for the silver. And then they, they deceive their father in the, just the most diabolical way. I mean, they, they take that ornate robe and then using goat's blood, they, they stain it and they pass off this, this lie to their father. This is what we found. Look, look what happened to your son. And it's just, it's, it's heart-wrenching. But it says, starting in verse 31, then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And I just have to pause and, and think about that spirit and truth of the word. Of course, it had to be a goat. It couldn't have been a sheep. You know, we, we got the goats that are on the left hand of the king, you know, an image right. of the wicked, right? And it's like, it had to be a goat. This is the, 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 the blood that these you know, brothers are using to stain this ornate robe. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, we found this, examine it to see whether it's your son's robe. And he, Jacob, recognized and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces 
Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. Now, let me just point out a little thing about that sentence. It says, all his sons and daughters came to comfort him. Oh, you mean those 10 sons that were actually the ones doing this Mm. to him? The ones that were deceiving him, that were shattering his heart into millions of pieces? Let me come and comfort you, daddy. You're just like, yeah. (laughs) Now, the daughters had no idea. The daughters weren't a part of it, but we got these 10 sons that, you know, they're a part of it. They're the ones who've done it. And it says, all his sons and daughters came to comfort Jacob, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son, Joseph, in the grave in Sheol. So his father wept for him. And then the end of the chapter, Genesis 37, is Joseph being sold to the Egyptian Potiphar. And we're following this narrative this entire time, and you know it's 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 a really interesting story. We're getting newer. We're, we're following along. We're like, okay, what's going to happen? What's going on? You know, what, what's the next thing that happens with Joseph? I want to know what happens to Joseph. And then it's the strangest thing. Joseph's story is cut off for Genesis chapter thirty-eight, where we go off on this story about Judah marrying a Canaanite woman, having children with this Canaanite, which we're not even supposed to do. You're not supposed to marry among the the Canaanites, marry among the pagans. He's off marrying this Canaanite woman, has children, and then you end up getting this story about this individual Tamar and how Judah's sons, his oldest, you know, marries her and then he dies. And second, he marries her, he dies. Judah doesn't want, you know, his third to marry her. Uh, Later, Judah's wife, his Canaanite wife, dies. He ends up sleeping with Tamar. We're just going through the story very quickly here. He ends up sleeping with Tamar because she, desiring a son, a child, she goes and poses as a prostitute. And the Hebrew even indicates that it's not just any prostitute, but it's a temple shrine prostitute. It's it's, it's this image of a, a pagan prostitute, which we know from ancient paganism and even modern paganism, you know, sex has, you know, such a, it's, it's everything about, you know, their false religion. So she's doing this. Judah does it with her, sleeps with her. She does get pregnant. Judah wants to put her to death when he finds out about this, but then she reveals, hey, you were the one that did this with me. I mean, it's, it's, it's a crazy chapter. (laughs) It is. And then it, it concludes with, Tamar giving birth to these twins, as we talked about in the second episode about the blessed second son prophecy, where we have Zerah and then Perez being the one through the messianic line. You know, we have mm-hmm. Perez leading to David, leading ultimately to Yeshua. We, we were just like, why? We have to ask that question, why? We, we're going with the narrative of, of Joseph. He sold to Potiphar, and then all of a sudden, what is going on for a whole chapter and then we pick up with the narrative of Joseph in Genesis It's like a 39. vignette in a show. Meanwhile, back at the farm. Right. I mean, it's, it's the strangest thing where if, if you don't know the overarching story of Joseph and you're just reading the Bible for the first time, you have no background in any of this stuff. Yeah. You'd be reading along and be going like, okay, okay, what's going to happen to him? What is this? Yeah. What is going on? <laughs> Talk about a speed bump in the Torah. Like, Seriously. It's like, why is this there? Well, I do believe that there is a reason this there. This is God's word. God put it there, and he obviously puts it there for a reason. What is that reason? Now, in order to truly understand that reason, I do believe that we have to go away from the first Tamar that's in the Bible, and we have to now look at the second Tamar that's in the Bible. Now, this is a story that Many do know, they are aware of, but it's, it's not as familiar as Genesis 38 with the first Tamar. We go to the second Tamar, which is recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 13, and we are going to read this whole story. And it says, In the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Amnon became so obsessed with his sister Tamar that he made himself ill. 
She was a virgin, and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. Now, Amnon had an advisor named Jonadab, son of Shemiah, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very shrewd man. He asked Amnon, why do you, the king's son, look so haggard morning after morning? Won't you tell me? Amnon said to him, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Okay, well, go to bed and pretend to be ill, Jonadab said. When your father comes to see you, say to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and give me something to eat. Let her prepare the food in my sight so I may watch her and then eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. When the king came to see him, Amnon said to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and make something special, some special bread in my sight so I may eat from her hand. David sent word to Tamar at the palace, go to the house of your brother Amnon and prepare some food for him. So Tamar went to the house of her brother Amnon, who was lying down. She took some dough, kneaded it, made the bread in his sight, and baked it. Then she took the pan and served him the bread, but he refused to eat. Send everyone out of here, Amnon said. So everyone left him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food here into my bedroom so I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the bread she had prepared and brought it to her brother Amnon in his bedroom. But when she took it to him to eat, he grabbed her and said, come to bed with me, my sister. No, my brother, she said to him, don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Don't do this wicked thing. What about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? And what about you? You would be like one of the wicked fools in Israel. Please speak to the king. He will not keep me from being married to you. Now, pause there. Now, that maybe that statement's true, or maybe she's just trying to get, get away, get out of there. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm going to look for any excuse, any you know, possible way to get out of this situation. So, you know, go speak to the king, and then he'll, he'll arrange it, and like, get me the hell out of here, mm-hmm. so I can you know, flee from this, you know, this psycho. But he refused to listen to her, and since he was stronger than she, he raped her. Then Amnon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he had loved her. Amnon said to her, get up and get out. He, he has this, quote, love for her, but there's no love there. It's, it's pure lust is what it is. It's just this sin uh, he's looking at this woman with this, you know, lust. He's committing adultery already, even though, again, she is a virgin. We, we acknowledge that, but it's, it's just diabolical what this guy does. It's absolutely diabolical. He turns from that, quote, love, that lust, and he just hates her with all of his heart. And she says, no, she said to him, sending me away would be a greater wrong than what you have already done to me but he refused to listen to her. He called his personal servant and said, get this woman out of my sight and bolt the door after her. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. She was wearing an ornate robe, for this was the kind of garment the virgin daughters of the king wore. Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the ornate robe she was wearing. She put her hands on her head and went away, weeping aloud as she went. Her brother, Absalom, said to her, has that Amnon, your brother, been with you? Be quiet for now, my sister. He is your brother. Don't take this thing to heart. And Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. When King David heard all this, he was furious, and rightly so. And Absalom never said a word to Amnon, either good or bad. He hated Amnon because he had disgraced his sister Tamar. Okay, well, there we have it. (laughs) Second Samuel chapter 13, this whole account between uh, Amnon and his sister Tamar, the second Tamar that's there in the Bible. And okay, you're probably asking the question, well, why? (laughs) Like, not so much why is that story in the Bible, but, but why do you bring this up as some connection to the first Tamar? It's like, I'm not, I'm not really seeing it. Well, Maybe someone saw it, maybe somebody you know, you know, caught this as we were going through about a certain thing that she was wearing as she leaves. And it says, 2 Samuel 13, 18b, that she was wearing an ornate robe, for this was the kind of garment the virgin daughters of the king wore. Hmm. 
an ornate robe. And then she, she tears that ornate robe because of what's happened to her, not just with the rape, but you know, being booted out and disgraced. He, he just hates her with all of his heart. An ornate robe, it's the exact same thing that we see in Genesis 37. Now, one might say, well, that was an ornate robe given to Joseph, but that, that's the point, is that Joseph's narrative about this ornate robe and what happens to him, mm-hmm. it's broken up with this Tamar story that's just like thrown in there. <laughs> yeah. We have Joseph in this ornate robe, and then all of a sudden, bam, we're learning about Tamar, who acted as a shrine prostitute in this way. And then we look at this second Tamar, and sure enough, a sexual act happens with her, but it's a different kind of sexual act. Turns out she's wearing an ornate robe. It's the same Hebrew word, pas, pasim, that image of the flat of the hand or the foot. It's a tunic reaching to the palms or soles, and it can also mean divers colors, properly the palm of the hand, sole of the foot, and by implication, a long and sleeved tunic. Same thing we see that Jacob gives to his son, Joseph. Now, this is the thing that's really, really cool. When we look at the whole of the Bible, and we're looking at this Hebrew word, pasim, or hapasim, for a, quote, ornate robe, there's only two chapters that it actually appears. Hmm. And those two chapters is Genesis 37, as well as 2 Samuel 13. Huh, these, these two Tamar stories. The two Tamar stories. Huh. Now, Genesis 37 is the narrative of Joseph sure, and this but, ornate robe, yeah. but it goes right into Tamar 1, and then the only other time it appears in the Bible is 2 Samuel 13, where we have huh. Tamar 2. So we got, and, and you'll, you'll see more about this, okay. you, know, you, know, okay. you know, coming up, but I, I'm telling you is that there, when we look at the names, it's the same name, and then we got this word, this ornate robe, pasim, if it appeared in multiple places throughout the Bible, I'd be like, well, there's probably nothing here. But it's the only place in the whole Bible where it appears in these two accounts. Wow. Well, another curious, I mean, just as a sidebar here, what happens to Joseph later? He's in Potiphar's house, an attempted rape mm. by Potiphar's wife on so him, so and true. what happens when he leaves the room? His robe gets ripped off him. <laughs> so even more so, that, that really ties it together. I just thought of that now. Yeah. That's interesting. Oh, it's, it's and, and what you're gonna see coming up is, is so eye-opening about what the spirit and truth of the, the Tamars is. Now, we've only covered two of the Tamars thus far, but we'll talk about the third one coming up. Okay, so there we go. So stay tuned, stay with us. Thank you for bringing Kate, uh, Jake here. <laughs> I almost called you Kate for a reason. I don't know. Switching the letters around. Anyway, thank you for bringing Jake here. It's through your donations that this happens. We're going to give you a couple minutes to consider another donation to help other people see this into the future. Thank you in advance. We'll be right back. Thank you for making this show happen. I'm having fun learning this. I hope you are too. Before the break, we were talking about uh, two Tamars so far in the Bible. We've yep. gone through <laughs> the actual letter of what it says in the Torah about them, but there is something deeper here. Yes, very much so. Tamar one, Tamar two, what's the golden honey? What's the spirit and truth of it? What I see with Tamar one and Tamar two, as well as Tamar three coming up, which we'll learn about, is an image of the house of Israel itself. Mm. Now. Right. Why do I say this? We look at this, Tamar 1 and Tamar 2. Look at the parallels between these two individuals. They have the same name, obviously. They're from the same tribe, the tribe of Judah. And what's fascinating is that they are 12 generations apart from one another. When you look at the generation of Judah and Tamar going into that second Tamar, it's a total of 12 generations between these two Tamars. 12, that very significant number when it comes to the house of Israel. We have ornate robe, which these are the only two times it appears in the whole of the Bible. Chapter 37 of Genesis, as well as 2 Samuel 13. Both of them have this uh, account of stepbrothers commit a great evil. This is the mm. step, it's not, their direct, it's not a direct brother, it's a stepbrother but they are most certainly, there's that that relation there. Uh, And then both of them is an immoral sexual relation. The first one with Tamar 1 is this uh, prostitution, shrine prostitution nonetheless. And then the second, uh, most certainly a very violent and horrible act, the act of rape. Now, when we look at Tamar 1 and we are focusing on the spirit and truth of Tamar 1, this image of the house of Israel, what did Israel do throughout 
the many generations as they live there in the land, they're constantly whoring themselves with the gods of the world, with the pagan nations. And there are so many passages to show this. This is Jeremiah 3. You have lived as a prostitute with many lovers. Would you now return to me, declares Yehovah? Look up to the barren heights and see. Is there any place where you've not been ravished? By the roadside, you sat waiting for lovers like a nomad in the desert. You have defiled the land with your prostitution and wickedness. Ezekiel 16, you also played the whore with the Egyptians, your lustful neighbors, multiplying your whoring to provoke me to anger. Behold, therefore, I stretch out my hand against you and diminished your allotted portion and delivered you to the greed of your enemies, the daughters of the Philistines, who are ashamed of your lewd behavior. They, these pagans, were even ashamed of your lewd behavior. You played the whore also with the Assyrians because you were not satisfied. Yes, you played the whore with them and still you were not satisfied. You multiplied your whorings also with the trading land of Chaldea, and even with this, you were not satisfied. How sick is your heart, declares the Lord Yehovah, because you did all these things, the deeds of a brazen prostitute. Mm. This is constantly being you know, emphasized by the Almighty is that, that he parallels sexual immorality with idolatry. So in, in the literal letter of it, you have sexual immorality, fornication, adultery. The spirit of it is this image of whoring with the nations, mm. this image of idolatry, serving and lusting after other things, things of the world. So Tamar 1, this image of Israel whoring, uh, being a prostitute with the world. And then Tamar 2, we look at the consequence of such whoring around. If you prostitute yourself with the world, well, here's the ultimate result. You'll be brought under curses. You can read all about those curses in Deuteronomy 28, and you'll ultimately be destroyed. This is what we see with Tamar 2. We have Hosea chapter 2, I will punish her, Israel, for the days she burned incense to the Baals. She decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers, but me she forgot, declares Yehovah. What are you doing, you devastated one, as it reads in Jeremiah 4? Why dress yourself in scarlet and put on jewels of gold? Why highlight your eyes with makeup? You adorn yourself in vain. Your lovers despise you. They want to kill you. Hmm. Now that's really cool. When you look at what happened with Amnon and the second Tamar, he loved her, but then as soon as the acts happen, he hates her. He despises her. Here we see this you know, spirit of it, you know, that your lovers, these pagan nations, they despise you. They want to kill you. Ezekiel 16, therefore, O prostitute, hear the word of Yehovah. Thus says the Lord Yehovah, because your lust was poured out and your nakedness uncovered in your whorings with your lovers and with all your abominable idols and because of the blood of your children that you gave to them, therefore, behold, I will gather all your lovers with whom you took pleasure, all those you loved and all those you hated. I will gather them against you from every side and will uncover your nakedness to them that they may see all your nakedness. And I will judge you as women who commit adultery and shed blood are judged and bring upon you the blood of wrath and jealousy. And I will give you into their hands and they shall throw down your vaulted chamber and break down your lofty places. They shall strip you of your clothes and take your beautiful jewels and leave you naked and bare. They shall bring up a, cr a crowd against you and they shall stone you and cut you to pieces with their swords." Ezekiel 23, that she lusted after her lovers, the Assyrians, warriors clothed in blue, governors and commanders, all of them handsome young men and mounted horsemen. She gave herself as a prostitute to all the elite of the Assyrians and defiled herself with all the idols of everyone she lusted after. She did not give up the prostitution. She began in Egypt, but when, during her youth, men slept with her, caressed her virgin bosom, and poured out their lust on her. Therefore, I delivered her into the hands of her lovers, the Assyrians, for whom she lusted. They stripped her naked, took away her sons and daughters, and killed her with the sword. She became a byword among women, and punishment was inflicted on her. Hmm. Now, that's not just a spiritual image of the, I mean, God is using all of this, this image spiritually speaking, of destruction, paralleling it to sexual acts. That we have Tamar 1, that's an image of Israel being that prostitute, but Tamar 2, 
she, it was a violent act of rape against her from a quote lover who turned to hate her and despise her. This is the, you know, uh, the parallel. And when we go to Ezekiel 23, once again, it says, therefore, this is what the sovereign Yehovah says, since you have forgotten me and turned your back on me, you must bear the consequences of your lewdness and prostitution. And what I see there, this, this message, is that if you prostitute yourself with the world, prepare to be violently raped by the world. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you're gonna go that route, which, Physically speaking, sexual immorality, but spiritually speaking, it's idolatry. It's going with the world. Well, your lovers will turn to hate you, and those curses of destruction will be brought upon you. And you might be going, okay, all right, so Tamar 1, Tamar 2, Israel, and the prostitution and then the consequences of that prostitution, I, I can see that. Mm, that. That's a sobering message. <laughs> is there, is there a, a message that we can apply that speaks to Israel in righteousness, you know, the, the result of being righteous. And I, I do believe there is. And this comes in with the third Tamar that's in the Bible. She who we know very little about because there's only half a sentence written about her. Hmm. Now, in order to understand that connection, we're going to go to the book of the Revelation of Yeshua the Messiah, where in chapter one of the Revelation, John has this, vision, this amazing vision of the resurrected Lord Yeshua in his glory. And there's, there's this symbolic imagery that's used, you know, about, you know, keys and stars and, you know, all of these things. But he sees him in his glory. And a part of that glory of Yeshua the Messiah, we see an image of that same Hebrew word, pasim. Now, hmm. this is the book of the Revelation. We understand that it was written in Greek. It wasn't written in Hebrew. Although there is evidence that we have come across, you know, fragments of manuscripts of the book of the Revelation in Hebrew. So, you know, who's to say that the word wasn't uh, the same there? But in the Greek, Revelation 1, translated into English, it reads, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet. Hmm. And that's the description of this robe that Yeshua is wearing, a robe reaching down to his feet. Well, that's the same image from Pasim. That's the Pasim. Yeah. It's, it's that royal robe going right. to your wrists, it's going to your feet, going to your ankles. And it says that he's dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. <laughs> you know, absolutely beautiful. Going further into the Revelation, we see the what many have come to call the, the rapture, even though we understand there's no pre-tribulation rapture. Sure, yes. But the, in the Latin Vulgate, uh, where Paul talks about being caught up into the cloud, it's the word rapturo, and that's where, you know, where it is. So we're caught up into the cloud. But who is it that's caught up into the cloud? It's the bride, to the bridegroom. It's, this, it's, it's the house of Israel, but it's the house of Israel in this image of righteousness and holiness and purity. They are worthy of being a part of the resurrection of the righteous, resurrection of the just. Being, being set apart like the light you talked about in previous episodes. That, yeah, they're, they're, being they're, brought they're, away. they're brought away. They're set yeah. apart from the darkness of the world, mm -hmm. caught up into the cloud to be with Yeshua. So here we have this beautiful illustration illustrating this truth of, the quote, the bride, the house of Israel in righteousness being caught up to the bridegroom, Yeshua the Messiah. Getting back to the second Tamar, 2 Samuel 13, 18b is that she was wearing an ornate robe, for this is the kind of garment the virgin daughters of the king wore. The virgin daughters. Okay, is that image of, quote, virginity concerning the bride to the bridegroom? Is that in the Revelation? Oh, yes, it most certainly is. When we turn to the Revelation chapter 14, it reads, Then I, John, looked, and there before me was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name, the name Yeshua, and his father's name, Yehovah, written on their foreheads. 
And I heard a sound from heaven, like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women. Now, I'm going to apply the spirit and truth of that passage, you know, what it's really getting at. You, you can't say that, you know, uh, people that have sexual relations, uh, you know, are not a member of the, the bride to the bridegroom, because then you'd have to exclude people like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and Moses, and David, and obviously we're not going to do that. But the spirit and truth of that passage is that they did not defile themselves with Babylon the Great, mm. who is an image in the revelation of that whore of all the earth. Right. That's what she's called. She's the whore <laughs> of all the earth. And it says here concerning the 144,000, an image of the bride, for they remained virgins. They remained virgins, as in they remain spiritually pure. They keep themselves pure for the true bridegroom, Yeshua the Messiah. So they're not, they're not whoring with the earth. And it says, they follow the lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among mankind and offered as first fruits to God and the lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. So they're virgins, they're blameless, they, they live in truth. Revelation 6, when he, Yeshua the Messiah, opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Yehovah, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. A white robe. This is another one of these times in the Revelation where this image of a robe is presented, where the first time we see it, it's that royal robe, all the way to the wrists, all the way to the feet, worn by our Lord Yeshua. Revelation 7 once again, going to this image of the 144,000, metaphorical image for the, the bride to the bridegroom. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And he... The angel said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. They're given white robes. And these specifically, once again, an image of the bride to the bridegroom, they're, they're holding palm branches in their hands. Very similar thing that we see on the, uh, the entry into Jerusalem mm -hmm. four days before the Passover. Yeshua, he rides triumphant to Jerusalem, and we got, blessed is he who comes in the name of Yehovah. You know, this, this image of praise and worship to Almighty God Yehovah for sending his son Yeshua. They're holding palm branches. Now, this is really, really cool. Now, keep in mind, we haven't even seen the third Tamar yet. We haven't seen her yet, but she's coming up. Tamar, let's look at the meaning of the name Tamar, the very Hebrew meaning of her name. Tamar means palm tree or date palm. Mm. Okay. This image of white robes, even going down to the wrist, going down to the ankles, they're holding palm branches. Mm. The very meaning of the name Tamar is the palm tree. And when we look at Tamar number three, the third Tamar in the Bible, only mentioned once, it's right here in 2 Samuel 14, the very chapter after 2 Samuel, where we have the uh, second Tamar that was raped. Mm -hmm. 2 Samuel 14, verse 27, it says, three sons and a daughter were born to Absalom. His daughter's name was Tamar, and she became a beautiful woman. It's the only thing that's mentioned about Tamar, the third Tamar. Hmm. We don't have her story. We don't have any other information other than her name is Tamar, it's the same name as the previous two. It means palm branch or palm tree, a date palm. And she became a beautiful woman. She grew and became this beautiful woman, okay? okay. All right, getting back to the Revelation, Revelation 7, 9b, they, the 144,000, they, the bride to the bridegroom, they were wearing white robes 
and were holding palm branches in their hands. I believe that's the connection. We got this image of the ornate robe. We got the name Tamar. We've got this image of what the name Tamar even means. And here we see it. I see it as a spiritual prophetic image of the bride to the bridegroom that has the glorious name of Yehovah God and the name of his son Yeshua upon, quote, her forehead. And when we get further in the Revelation, Revelation chapter 19, it reads, one of my favorite passages, Hallelujah, for Yehovah God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. The fine linen represents the righteous actions of God's holy people. Hmm. She's given fine linen white and clean, an image of those fine robes, those white robes that had been washed in the blood of the lamb. And the, they represent the actual righteous actions of the people, hmm. keeping Torah, being obedient to the word of God. You go back to the, the whole ornate robe from the very beginning, Jacob gives this you know, kingly robe to his son Joseph as this image of, you're my beloved son. And the virgin daughters of the king in the time of the second Tamar, they, this is what the virgin daughters wore. It's all this image of Israel as that, quote, beautiful woman. Second Samuel 14, 27b, Tamar, the third Tamar, she became a beautiful woman. And that's just how I see it, is that Tamar is an image of Israel. First Tamar is an image of Israel being extremely wicked, prostituting herself with the world. Second Tamar is an image of the consequence of those evil actions and wickedness. But the third Tamar is an image of what Israel's supposed to be. And when she is that, when she is that virgin that keeps herself pure for Yeshua, well, then she has that great reward. And she's restored. She's restored. She's caught up to be with the bridegroom. And her, the name of God, the name of Yeshua is also upon her. And she is, she's become a, quote, beautiful, beautiful woman. woman. She, yes. Because she wasn't, she had to become. Well, right? because of in the, in the resurrection, right. we will be become. beautiful. We will be beautiful. You know, it's, it's interesting too that, you know, when, <laughs> when we see the mark of the beast, well, what is, that's the opposite of what we see, right? So the, mm. the, his mark is on the forehead and the hand. So your actions, right. your thoughts and your actions. But right. those who have Yehovah's name on their forehead, his 100%. His thoughts yeah. and his if, actions. If you're going after the world, right. then the name of the beast is upon you. But if you're going after Yehovah and his son Yeshua, their names are upon you. And it's interesting too that the, the robe goes all the way to the hands and all the way to the feet. Yep. Well, if we have the mind of Christ and we, are to, and we are thinking as he wants us to think and acting the way we are, mm. leads the righteous acts lead right up to the hands and yep. we are to be his hands and his feet. 100%. And it goes all the way down to the feet. There's and, so and, many and so linkages much. And then here. even the Hebrew word to uh, atone, uh, kafar, is to cover. Oh, wow. Is to cover or to clothe. We are clothed with his righteousness, and we're also clothed in the image of our own righteousness as we walk as he walked. Wow. Well, we could go on for 17 hours on this, but we'll call it quits, and we'll come back next week. Uh -huh. Next week, we have another topic. We've got it written right here. We've, all, we've got two more left. So mm -hmm. next week is, ooh, the plague's prophecy. Yes, okay? the plague's prophecy. All right, so you're going to join us for that. Hope you do, too. Join us next week for the plague's prophecy with the gold and honey of the Torah with Jake Hilton. And uh, we'll be back next week. Until then, Shavua Tov, Shabbat Shalom.